This is social influence, so we're going to start with conformity. What are the types of conformity? Conformity occurs when people adopt the behaviour, attitudes or beliefs of the majority. The majority is the dominant or largest group. This is after being exposed to their behaviour or values. Kelman identified three types of conformity, compliance, internalisation and identification. Compliance is the lowest level of conformity. This is where we change our public behaviour but not our private beliefs. This lasts as long as the group pressure is exerted and ceases after. This is a result of normative social influence, which we'll get onto in a bit. Next is internalisation, according to Kelman. Internalisation is the most permanent form of conformity. This is where we change both our public behaviour and our private beliefs, and this continues even if the group pressure is removed as the person has gone through a validation process and norms and values of the groups are accepted and internalised. This is the result of informational social influence. And the last type of conformity identified by Kelman is identification. So this is where we identify to the roles assigned to us and we act according to that role. The public behaviour and private beliefs that we uh, own do change, but only in the presence of the group. So compliance is the lowest level where we change both our public behaviour, but not our private beliefs. And this lasts as long as the group pressure is exerted and ceases after. Internalisation is the most permanent form where we change both our public behaviour and private beliefs. And this continues even if the group pressure is removed due to the validation process where the norms and values of the group have been accepted and internalised by us and identification where we identify to roles assigned and act according to this role and the expectations that come uh, along with this role. This is where our public behaviour and our private beliefs change but only in the presence of the group and this is the result of normative social influence and so is compliance whereas internalisation is the result of informational social influence. Ash's line study. So Ash's line study was uh, investigating compliance, the type of conformity we just identified. So Ash aimed to discover whether the power of the group was strong enough to make a person give an obviously incorrect answer to an unambiguous task. Ash asked American male undergraduate students with an unambiguous task of judging the length of lines. The students were shown a pair of cards with one having a test line on and the other with three lines of differing lengths. The participants were sat around a table with one naive participant sat with six confederates, with the participant sat, uh, sitting last but one. The participants were asked to state aloud which line was the same as the test line. This was always obvious. The confederates gave the same unanimous wrong answer on 12 out of 18 trials. So Ash found that on 32% of the critical trials, so the 12 out of 18 trials, the participants conformed to the majority. 74% of the naive participants conformed at least once and 26% never conformed but all, uh, often experienced tension and doubt. Ash therefore concluded that the power of the group pressure was so strong that it could make people give an ob uh, obviously incorrect answer to an easy task. So this was demonstrating compliance due to normative social influence. So Ash used these American male graduate uh, undergraduate students. He gave them these two pairs of cards with one having a test line, the other with three lines of differing lengths. He sat this participant down, uh, the naive participant with six confederates. So there were seven total overall, but only one was the participant being tested. The naive participants were sat last but one of the other six confederates and they were then asked to say aloud which line was the same as the test line, which is an ob uh, always obvious answer. The Confederates gave the same unanimous wrong answer on 12 out of 18 of the trials, and Ash found that on 32% of the critical trials, the participants were conformed to the majority, 74% of the naive participants conformed at least once, and 26% never conformed, but often experienced tension and doubt. Evaluating Ash's study, it's been very influential in showing the power of group pressure. However, it's a trivial task. It's not important to the participants' belief systems and therefore it may lack ecological validity. However, on the contrary of this, Crutchfield's study, so Crutchfield, so Crutchfield's study shows Ash's study does have ecological validity as it used a less trivial task of getting college students to agree with statements that they wouldn't usually agree to. For example, the life expectancy of US males is 25 years. 
They wouldn't usually agree with these statements, but as the study by Crutchfield was less artificial and showed similar results of conformity, it suggests Ash's study does have ecological validity. Another weakness is that it may be lacking in temporal validity. The results may be specific to the McCarthyism era, which was very conservative and against anyone who held different views. This may explain the conformity, and so it may not be relevant today and may lack temporal validity, as it may just be a child of its time. This evaluation point is supported by Perrin and Spencer's repeat of Ash's study with British students. Perrin and Spencer found that only one in 396 conforming responses uh, uh, so only one in 396 was there a conforming response, suggesting that Ash does lack uh, temporal validity. However, these British students were all maths and engineering students, so may have acquired skills to resist. And therefore, this may explain why in Perrin and Spencer's research that there was only one in 396 conforming responses because of their, uh, the skills they may have been able to acquire during their courses. The study also lacks, ecolog uh, lacks population validity as it shows beta gender bias and ignores the differences between males and females as it is androcentric. It's also beta cultural bias as it's ethnocentric as they were all American and thus from an individualistic culture. Collectivism have been found to be more uh, conforming than individualistic cultures. It's also unethical. They were deceived many times and it caused psychological harm where we said even those who hadn't conformed had experienced tension and doubt. What variables affected whether people conformed in Ash's study? So Ash's completed various variables and he found that a non-unanimous majority, the size of the majority, the difficulty of the task, cultural differences and writing responses rather than calling aloud all changed conformity levels. A non-unanimous majority Ash found that levels of conformity dropped when just one other participant dissented from the majority and supported the naive participant. So just when one other participant dissented from the majority and supported the naive participant, this reduced conformity levels from 32% to 5%. A unanimous majority of three was found to be more effective at producing conformity than a majority of eight with one dissenter. So just one dissenter reduced conformity levels from 32% to 5%, thus showing that a non-unanimous majority is a big situational variable in this study. The size of the majority. When the size of the majority dropped to just two people, conformity levels dropped to 12.8%. They found that optimum conformity rates were found with a majority of three, and increasing above had no impact. Barron and Byrne argued that this was due to suspicions of collusion. When only one confederate was used, no conformity was found. So when the size of the majority dropped to two people, it was found that uh, conformity levels dropped to 12.8% and optimum conformity rates were found with a majority of three. Increasing above had no impact and reducing obviously brought it down to 12.8% when it was two, and when it was just one confederate, there was no conformity. Difficulty of the task is also a situational variable. Increasing difficulty increased conformity levels. Ash made the lines closer in length, making the task more difficult. Also cultural differences. Smith and Bond reviewed 31 studies of conformity and found that collectivists showed higher levels of conformity than individualistic cultures. Writing responses rather than calling them aloud also decreased conformity. So again, a non-unanimous majority, and you need to know here one other participant uh, dissented from the majority and supported the naive participant, reduced conformity levels from 32% to 5%, uh, where there was a non-unanimous majority of three. It was found to be more effective at producing conformity than a majority of eight with one dissenter. As well as this, the size of the majority two people dropping it to 12.8% and optimum conformity rates being found with a majority of three increasing above had no impact which was uh, likely to be due to the suspicion of collusion. Difficulty of the task, increasing difficulty, increased conformity, making lines closer in length made the task more difficult. Also cultural differences, Smith and Bond reviewing the 31 studies of conformity finding that collectivist cultures showed higher levels of conformity than individualistic cultures. Also writing responses rather than calling them aloud decreased conformity.
Simbardo's Stanford Prison Study. Now this is showing identification, which is obviously one of the types that Kelman identified at the start. Zimbardo aimed to examine whether people uh, would conform to the social roles of a prison guard or prisoner when placed in a mock prison environment. Zimbardo used 25 American participants who were all male and were physically and mentally well. They were assigned to the role of prisoner of guard or guard. Local police were recruited to help and the nine prisoners were arrested at home without warning. They were given numbers to remember, given smocks to wear and were disinfectant sprayed. Three guards were on duty at any time. They wore khaki sh shirts and trousers, carried long wooden bat batons and were permitted to make most of the rules. The participant guards conformed to the perceived roles with such zeal that it had to be discontinued after six days. It was meant to be two weeks. Some prisoners showed passive behaviour, depression, crying and anxiety. Zimbardo concluded that this demonstrated how people can conform to behave in an uncharacteristic way when given new roles and put in a new situation. So Zimbardo used these 25 American participants who were all male, all physically and mentally well. They, he assigned them to the role of prisoner of guards and nine prisoners were arrested by local police at their home without warning. Had a really uh, dehumanising period at the start where they were given smocks to wear, where disinfectant sprayed and then three guards were on duty at any one time, wore these uniforms, khaki shirts and trousers, they carried long wooden batons and were permitted to make most of the rules and it was found that they uh, conformed to the perceived roles and showed identification with such zeal that it had to be discontinued after six days due to the prisoners showing passive behaviour, depression, crying and anxiety. So as you can imagine, this has many uh, evaluation points. It's said that it may lack internal validity because it may be due to the results of demand characteristics. So one cruel guard said that he'd based his performance off the lead character from Cool Hand Luke. He acted in a way that he thought Zimbardo wanted him to, and thus there may be demand characteristics in play here. However, many participants showed genuine signs of psychological disturbance, so therefore the evidence on demand characteristics affecting the results and thus the study lacking internal validity uh, is inconclusive. It lacks population validity as it is ethnocentric and androcentric, so cannot generalise. It's criticised for having low ecological validity, but recent events at Abu Ghraib prison has given real-world evidence to support Zimbardo, as the military prison saw guards humiliate prisoners in ways similar to Stanford prison, for example, stripping them. This suggests that Zimbardo's study does not lack ecological validity. There are many ethical issues, as highlighted by Savin. For example, participants did not give fully informed consent. For example, they didn't know that they'd be arrested at home. However, these issues that were put across by Savin have been given responses back from Zimbardo. So the first one that he did not, uh, participants did not have fully informed consent put forward by Savin, Zimbardo replied by saying that, however, after the study had ended, Zimbardo did give several debriefing se uh, sessions with the participants to help them deal with their reactions to the experience. Also, participants did sign an agreement drawn up by the uni to act as volunteers. Savin also argued that participants were not protected from psychological harm. For example, the participants were humiliated and dehumanised by the initiation procedure where they would arrive to the prison. Participants were sleep deprived and one went on hunger strike. Guards also felt guilty. However, contact was remained during the year after prevent any to prevent any negative effects persisting. Also, Zimbardo did not know what would happen, although he could have stopped sooner. Debriefing sessions helped participants deal with experience. Savin also argued that participants felt that they did not have the right to withdraw. One asked to leave and Zimbardo offered him the chance of being a snitch in exchange. So this made the participants feel he couldn't leave and he told others this. However, Zimbardo argued some did withdraw and some did actually walk out and didn't continue with the study before it ended so therefore they must have had a right to withdraw and Zimbardo stated that he just wanted the participant to think about it rather than leaving and he didn't mean that they didn't have the right to withdraw. So therefore the evaluation points of Zimbardo's Stanford prison study are that it lacks for the 
Paul, Han, and Luke example. It lacks population validity due to being ethnocentric and androcentric. It's criticised for having low ecological validity. However, Abu Ghraib prison has shown real-world evidence to support Zimbardo with similar tactics used, such as stripping participants uh, and the prisoners in the real prison in Abu Ghraib. And ethical issues, as highlighted by Savin, them not given fully formed incent, them not being protected from psychological harm, and participants feeling that they did not have the right to withdraw, such as the snitch participant. However, as we know, Zimbardo replied to a lot of this, uh, and we know that. So what explanations of conformity are there? Normative social influence, informational social influence, and identification to social roles and expectations. Normative social influence is the need to be liked. This is the basic need of being accepted and to fit in. This goes along with the consensus and to appear in harmony. This leads to compliance and identification. So if we are affected by normative social influence, we're likely to go along with the consensus and to appear in harmony in order to be uh, liked and be accepted and fit in. This is supported by Ash's line study. The unambiguous task and answers were always obvious, but when participants were placed in a group given unanimous incorrect answers, 32% of the critical trials showed conforming answers. However, when answers were given alone, every single answer was correct. It's also supported by variations in Ash's study. When answers were written rather than given verbally, conformity decreased, showing that they knew the correct answer, but wished to be accepted, showing normative social influence. Also, a weakness is that 26% never conformed, so therefore dispositional factors must play a role. For example, uh, locus of control. Informational social influence. The need to be right. There is no obvious or correct answer, so person turns to others for the answer so they conform to gain knowledge, or they believe that someone else is right. This leads to identification. This is supported by... This leads to internalisation, sorry. This is supported by variations in Ash's study. So when task was made more difficult, conformity increased. As the size of the group remained the same, it implies that increasing the difficulty of the task increased conformity as participants were less sure of the correct answer and as a result looked for the group for information. The last explanation of conformity is identification to social roles and expectations. We conform to what is expected of us when we take on certain roles and we conform to these expectations. A strength of this is that it is supported by Zimbardo's prison study. The guards wore uniforms and were known as Mr. Correctional Officer to encourage identification to the role of the guards. And within days, the guards became cruel and aggressive and behaved in an uncharacteristic way compared to before. They knew this because they had been screened prior, finding no signs of aggressive or sadistic personalities, demonstrating cause and effect showing the identification to social roles and expectations in Zimbardo's prison study. However, a weakness of this is that we know that there's an alternative explanation of demand characteristics. For example, the guard who watched Cool Hand Luke, and so the study may not be showing identification, but may simply be showing identification uh, through demand characteristics rather than identification. Next is obedience. So uh, obedience is behaving as instructed, usually in response to an individual rather than group pressure, usually take place in a hierarchy where the person is usually uh, of higher status who is issuing the order than the person obeying the order. Obedience occurs because the individual feels that they have little choice, that they cannot resist or refuse to obey. It's unlikely to lead to a change in opinion. Participants deny conformity, whereas participants embrace obedience as an explanation of their behaviour. Obedience occurs within a hierarchy, whereas conformity can occur within a hierarchy or can occur between people of equal status. The emphasis in obedience is on power, but in conformity, the uh, emphasis is on acceptance. In obedience, the behaviour adopted differs from that of the authority figure, but in conformity, the behaviour is similar to that of the group. Milgram's obedience study is the main study we're going to uh, be knowing in obedience. So Milgram aimed to find out if the ordinary American would obey an unjust order to inflict pain on another person. Milgram used 40 male volunteers who responded to a newspaper ad who asked people to take part in a memory experiment. 
The study took place in a lab at the prestigious Yale University. The experimenter told participants that they were being part of a study that concerned the role of punishment in learning. The participant met a confederate of the experimenter who he believed was a real participant and lots were drawn for who should be the learner and who should be the teacher, with it being fixed always so that the participants would always be the teacher. The participant watched Confederate being strapped into a chair in an adjoining room with his arms uh, attached to electrodes. The participant then read aloud a series of word pairs and tested the Confederate's memory, administering an electric shock every time an error was made from a shock generator which had 30 levers from 15 volts rising to 450 volts in 15 volt increments. No shocks were actually given, however. The learner was scripted to pound loudly on the adjoining wall at 300 volts and after 315 volts they were scripted to stop pounding and stop giving answers. If the teacher hesitated to give the shock, four possible prods were given, such as you have no other choice, you must go on. Milgram found that all 40 participants went to at least 300 volts, 65% went to 450 volts, Many dissented verbally but continued to obey after the prods. Many participants showed signs of extreme anxiety. Surveys beforehand had predicted that only 0.1% would administer the highest voltage and that most would stop around 120 volts. So therefore, the study clearly demonstrated the power of the situation over individuals and crimes against humanity are most likely to be the result of situational factors rather than uh, dispositional factors, according to Milgram. So although the surveys behind had predicted about 0.1% would administer the highest voltage, actually 65% actually went to this highest voltage of 450 volts and all participants went to at least 300 volts. However, Milgram's obedience study has been criticised heavily for two counts of validity by Orne and Holland. So Orne and Holland criticised Milgram's work on two counts of validity. Internal validity, which is the extent to which it measures what it was supposed to measure, and external validity, which is the extent to which findings can be generalised. to other situations, which is ecological validity, other times, temporal validity, and other populations, population validity. So, Orne and Holland criticised Milgram's work for lacking internal validity. So, Orne and Holland believed that participants did not really believe that they were given electric shocks and that they were really distressed, but were just uh, pretending in order to please the experimenter. Therefore, they were responding to demand characteristics rather than genuine obedience. They argued that there are many experimenter issues in the setup that suggested that the situation was fake to the participant. For example, the experimenter remained calm when the learner appeared to have collapsed unconscious at 350 volts. Therefore, Milgram's study may lack internal validity. However, Milgram disputes this criticism by giving evidence that the participants believed that the shocks were real. Video footage showed the uh, extreme stress that the participants suffered. Post-experimental self-report methods found that 56.1% fully believed that the shocks were real and only 2.4% believed certainly that the shocks weren't real. Orne and Holland do not explain why some participants refused to give shocks if they were merely uh, role-playing and also why would changing the location to a CD office decrease obedience from 65% to 48%. So therefore, it doesn't explain these things, and Milgram disputed Orne and Holland's uh, criticisms of internal validity because 2.4% believed certainly that the shocks weren't real, and 56.1% fully believed that the shocks were real, as well as them not being able to explain why some participants refused to give shocks if they were merely role-playing, and also why we're changing the location to a CD office decrease obedience from 65% to 48%. Also, Sheridan and King did a similar experiment on puppies where real shocks were given and participants could see the real effects on the puppies. However, 75% still obeyed till the end. This is similar to Milgram's study suggesting that it does have internal validity. So now they criticised it on terms of external validity. So first we're going to start with population validity. So Orne and Holland argued that Milgram's work lacked population validity because it is androcentric and ethnocentric, so it cannot generalise to women or uh, collectivist societies. However, levels of obedience have been found 
as being similar for women, showing that the results can generalise to women, and uh, replication studies in other countries with similar results have been found, showing that results can actually be generalised to other cultures. The only exceptions are Germany, showing 85% conformity to the end level, and Australia, showing sorry, showing 85% obedience levels to the end, and Australia showing 40% obedience levels to the highest uh, 450 volts. The task is artificial and lacks ecological validity. However, uh, disputing this, showing that the study does uh, actually have ecological validity, and actually may be quite high in ecological validity, Hofflin did a field study in a hospital that showed that obedience to an authority figure does occur in real life. Participants who were nurses received a call from an unknown doctor who asked them to administer the drug astrophen, which would have broken several rules. 21 out of 22 of them, however, obeyed, so therefore Milgram's study does not lack ecological validity, as shown by the study by Hoffling in the field uh, study that showed that 21 out of 22 obeyed this unknown doctor's order to administer the drug of astrophen. Milgram's work has also been hugely criticised for its ethics. So ethical criticisms of Milgram's work by Baumrind. So as we said for conformity, Savin put forward these uh, big, big uh, moral uh, evaluation points for the work of Zimbardo, but the one major critic of Milgram's ethics was Bormrind. So Bormrind argued that participants were deceived on three counts, participants were not protected from psychological harm, and participants felt that they had no right to withdraw. Participants were deceived on three counts, as they were told that the study was about the effects of punishment on memory, they believed that they were given real shocks, and they were told that the Confederate was a, a real participant. Milgram stated that without the deception of the study, he couldn't have taken place in the study and therefore it did reveal... Sorry. The participants were deceived on three counts as they were told the study was about the effects of punishment on memory. They believed that they were given real shocks and they were told that the Confederate was a real participant. Milgram stated, however, that without the deception of the study, we couldn't have taken place... Uh, the study couldn't have taken place in the first place and the study did reveal truly surprising results. People could not predict the behaviour either, so deception was necessary. Participants were debriefed and only 1.3% reported negative feelings. Another ethical uh, critic um, criticism by Bormrind is that participants were not protected from psychological harm. They showed signs of extreme stress, such as trembling, sweating and stuttering. This, uh, there may also be long-term psychological effects of guilt after learning that they had been willing to give potentially lethal shocks to fellow human beings. Milgram, however, argued that participants were fully debriefed and psychiatric examination one year after the study showed no signs of psychological damage. Also, stress was not anticipated and based on pre-experimental uh, surveys, he expected very low levels of obedience. He expected 0.1% uh, would administer this uh, 450 volts, but 65% did. He wouldn't have predicted that the stress people would have suffered. Also, Bormrind argued that participants felt that they had no choice to withdraw. The participants were given many prods, such as you have no choice but to go on, which made participants feel that they didn't have the right to withdraw. Milgram argued that persuading participants to remain, he was demonstrating the power of the establishment and authority figures, and he argued participants were not physically detained and therefore did have the right to withdraw. Also, 65% continued to 450 volts, so therefore 35% did actually withdraw, showing that participants did have the right to withdraw if they were determined enough. In conclusion of the ethical criticisms of Milgram's work by Bormrind, the American Psychological Association found the research to be ethically ac uh, acceptable. Variations of Milgram's procedure. So just as we had the variations of Ash's study, we now have the variations of Milgram's study. So variations of Milgram's procedure, situational variables. Proximity. When the teacher and learner were in the same room, only 40% uh, were obedient until the end. When teacher had to force teacher's hand, um, when the teacher had to force the learner's hand onto a shock plate, thirty percent due to the increased responsibility, and researchers prodded to continue were given via telephone from another room, only twenty point five percent. Location: the change of venue from prestigious Yale University to CD office in a nearby town changed uh, obedience from sixty five percent to forty eight percent. 
uniform, also experimenter dressed in ordinary clothes rather than white lab coat, changed obedience from 65% to 20%. And then social support. So when they were given social support for, uh, by two other teachers who refused to obey, it went from 65% to 10%. So I'll say that again, proximity. When teacher and learner in the same room, 40%. When teacher had to force learner's hands onto shock plate, 30%. Researchers prods to continue were given via telephone from another room, 20.5%. Location, change of venue from prestigious Yale University to CD office was 48%. And uniform, experiment dressed in ordinary clothes rather than white lab coat, 20%. Social support, when given social support by two other teachers who refused to obey, 10%. So therefore, the levels of obedience can fall when the learner struggle is made more obvious by increasing proximity. They fall within the authority of the experimenter. Sorry, obedience levels fall when the authority of the experimenter is reduced by taking away uniform. So that made it 20%. Prestigious location, 48%. And taking the experimenter out of the room. So when the researchers promised to continue were given via telephone from another room, only 20.5%. Situational explanations of obedience. So Milgram identified three main features of the situation that were con uh, conducive to obedience. Legitimate authority, graduated commitment and agentic state. Legitimate authority. So legitimate social power is held by authority figures whose role is defined by society, which gives them the right to exert control over the behaviour of others, which we accept due to the way we are brought up and socialised. Uniforms are often a sign of legitimate authority. Legitimate authority is a situational explanation of obedience is supported by Milgram's variations. When the location moved to a CD office from the prestigious Yale University, which it was at originally, the level of obedience fell from 65% to 48%. This showed that when the level of authority from the prestigious Yale University was removed, less obedience occurred. It was also supported by another variation, so when the clothes changed from lab coat to normal clothes, which resulted in a drop of obedience from 65% to 20%, showing that when the prestigious uh, authority of the lab coat was removed, less obedience occurred. Therefore, authority decreased in both variations, which caused less obedience. However, evidence against comes from individual differences. All participants were exposed to the same amount of legitimate authority, but however, 35% disobeyed in the original study, suggesting that dispositional factors such as personality or personal experiences may influence. For example, one participant was Jewish and used this to justify why he wouldn't obey. The next situational explanation of obedience is graduated commitment. This is the foot in the door effect. This is where once people will comply with a trivial and seemingly harmless request, they find it difficult to refuse to carry out more serious. Uh, they find it difficult to refuse to carry out more serious escalating requests due to the desire to appear consistent. Graduated commitment as a situational explanation of obedience is supported by Milgram's study. Demands first seemed harmless, but gradually increased by thirty uh, by fifteen volts each time. First, they agreed to take part. Then they drew lots, and then they were administering the shocks in small increments, which made it difficult for participants to not comply if they had agreed to the last step due to the foot in the door effect. And so all participants continued until 300 volts due to the desire to appear consistent. Graduated commitment is also supported by real-life techniques taken by salesmen, where they first knock on the door, and then they give a free quote, and then before the person knows it and is fully aware, they've agreed to hundreds of pounds worth of work. Evidence against, however, is individual differences, which is the same as legitimate authority, as we've said already. So the Jewish woman used to justify not obeying. 35% didn't obey, all exposed to the same graduated commitment, so there must be dispositional factors involved. The last situational explanation of obedience is agentic state. So Milgram's agency theory states that people operate on two levels, an autonomic level where individuals behave voluntarily and are aware of their consequences of their actions, and on the, on the agentic level, seeing themselves as the agents of others and not responsible for their actions. So Milgram's agency theory has this autonomic level and this agentic level. Moving to the agentic level from the autonomous level is called the agentic shift, 
which causes people to uh, attribute responsibility for their actions to the person in authority and mindlessly accept orders of the person seen as responsible for the situation. This is likely to be due to socialisation and the way we are brought up. Agentic, uh, agentic level is supported by Milgram study. Many of the participants denied personal responsibility by saying that they'd done exactly what they'd been told to do by the experimenter. When they tried to refuse, the experimenter would say, I am responsible. Also, the autonomous level is supported by one woman who refused to administer any shocks due to her upbringing in Nazi Germany. Therefore, she didn't want to hurt others and therefore remained autonomous and on the autonomous level as of Milgram's agency theory. Dispositional explanation of obedience, the authoritarian personality. Authoritarian personalities likely to adhere to a conventional values and have a belief in absolute obedience or submission to authority, therefore making them susceptible to obeying those in authority and being submissive to those in higher status, but yet dismissive to those they see lower in status. It's believed that this forms during childhood as a result of harsh parenting, where absolute loyalty to parents would have been expected to avoid physical punishment. Due to this, they built up resentment and hostility towards their parents, but they were unable to express their feelings directly to the parents due to the fear of punishment, so that they would take their frustrations out on those they deem inferior and weaker and remain to have respect for um, the, those that they consider superior and be submissive to these as well. So they acquire the attitudes through the process of learning and imitation. The authoritarian personality is identified by the F scale that was introduced by Adorno. So although all of Milgram's participants were placed in the same situation, 35% disobeyed, suggesting that dispositional factors must be important. So Adorno used the F scale that contains statements such as rules are there for people to follow, not to change. Agreeing with these statements meant that they were rigid thinkers who obeyed authority, saw the world in black and white and believed in adhering to social rules and hierarchies. Supporting evidence for the authoritarian personality as a dispositional explanation of obedience was by Elms and Milgram. Elms and Milgram carried out a follow-up study with those who had taken part in the original study two months earlier. They identified 20 obedient participants who had obeyed until 450 volts and 20 defiant participants who had not. These were selected and they were compared on the MMPI scale, which measures a range of personality variables. The, P, the F scale put forward by Adorno to measure their levels of authoritarianism and also answered a series of open-ended questions, including their attitudes to the experimenter and the learner in the original study. Elms and Milgram found little differences between them on the MMPI, however huge differences in authoritarianism, with higher levels found in those classified as obedient, who had continued in for, until 450 volts in the original study, than those defiant participants who had disobeyed. Elms and Milgram also found differences in childhood uh, in their childhood, so for example closeness with father. And obedient participants saw the authority figure in the study as more admirable and the learner less so, so they were higher on the trait of authoritarianism. However, it is highly unlikely that all 65% who obeyed experienced, uh, who obeyed experienced, uh, it's highly unlikely that all the 50, that all of the 65% who obeyed had experienced harsh childhoods and therefore had authoritarian personalities. In fact, Elms and Milgram saw some differences in the characteristics of the obedient participants and the characteristics of the authoritarian personality. For example, obedient participants reported to have a very good relationship with their parents, suggesting that there were other explanations. For example, Milgram believed that the evidence for situational factors was stronger. For example, the same room made it decrease to 40%, a seedy office made it decrease to 48%, normal clothes to 20%, and the presence of social support where the two teachers also dissented uh, made it decrease from 65% to 10%. Another weakness is that there is methodolo uh, methodological issues with the F scale. All the questions are worded in the same direction with the same scale for scoring as well as having no filler questions so therefore there is a risk of demand characteristics and also having no lie detector questions so there is a fear of social desirability bias. So therefore, the F scale may lack internal validity.
Next is resisting social influence and minority influence. So what are the explanations of the resistance to social influence? First, we're going to start with resisting conformity, so situational factors. So social support. So in Asher's study, one dissenter caused conformity to drop from 32% of critical trials to just 5%, as participants were more confident due to the non-unanimous group. The dissent can even be an answer different to that of the participants. It is just a weakening of the unanimity of the majority. Also group size, six confederates were 32%, but when it goes down to 2%, it is just 12.8%. It was found that group size of three was the optimum. The optimum, the larger group exerts more pressure, so reducing the size of the group will make it easier for someone to resist conforming. If the group size is more than three, suspicion of collusion may occur, according to Barron and Byrne. Resistant obedience now, so situational factors, social support. Where there were two Confederate teachers who refused the shock, obedience reduced from 65% to 10%. It gives the person the confidence to refuse an order and shows that there are different options. Reducing legitimate authority. Reduction in legitimate authority allows resistance to obedience. For example, CD office, 65% to 48%. Normal clothes rather than the lab coat, prestigious legitimate authority, uh, prestigious lab coat, 65% to 20%. So therefore, the authority reduced so it is easier to obey as we do not believe uh, they have the power to exert over us. Feelings of responsibility. When in the same room as the learner, 65% to 40%, learner's distress was made more obvious and learner felt more responsibility. As well as this, when the teacher had to force the learner's hand onto the plate, that reduced uh, obedience from 65% to 30%. So therefore, feelings of responsibility are likely to decrease obedience. Ways to resist obedience. So we can ask if this is something I would be doing without an order. So we can reawaken our personal moral conscience um, and our considerations. We should be aware of the foot in the door effect. So graduated commitment. So do not agree to the initial request and then you'll be less likely to agree to the later, uh, more severe requests. Also find an ally. So presence of an ally makes defiance more legitimate and uh, easier. Also take responsibility, so remove from the agentic state to an autonomous one, such as the uh, woman who had been brought up in a Nazi Germany and thus uh, was able to remain in an autonomous level. Dispositional explanation of resistance to social influence is the locus of control. The term locus of control refers to a person's uh, perception of personal control over their own behaviour. Our personality differences will lead us to adopt either an internal or external locus of control. This is measured along a dimension of high internal to high external. Internal locus of controls. So internals receive themse perceive themselves as having a great deal of personal control over their behaviour and therefore take responsibility for it. This is associated with healthy behaviour and good mental health, being a risk taker and being less likely to conform and be obedient. They are active seekers of information and so they are less likely to rely on the opinions of others. Research shows that internals are more likely to be leaders and followers as they take responsibility for their actions and believe they can change the environment and even the behaviour of others. They're also more achievement-oriented. Orient, uh, oriented, fuck. Internals get less anxious and depressed as they do not get threatened or helpless in the face of events and they do not need external approval due to the sense of confidence and security that they feel. Internals are more likely to be able to resist social influence as a result. Externals, on the other hand, perceive events as being outside of their control by external influences or luck. Therefore, they're more likely to conform and be obedient. Also, those without the authoritarian personality we discussed earlier are more likely to be able to avoid obeying and remaining independent. AO3, so evidence of locus of control affecting conformity, was found by Berger and Cooper. So Berger and Cooper found that people with an internal locus of control were more likely to resist conformity to the Confederates' opinion about the funniness of cartoons. 
so externals were more likely to conform to the Confederates' opinions on the cartoon, supporting the prediction that internals are more uh, able to resist social influence, as found by Berger and Cooper. Also, Atvigis carried out a meta-analysis of studies of the relationship between locus of control and different forms of social influence, showing a positive correlation. So Atvigis found a uh, plus 0.37 positive correlation average, so 0.37 plus correlation. Therefore, there is a positive correlation between locus of control, showing that internals are uh, are more likely to be able to resist obedience and conformity. There's also evidence of locus of control affecting obedience. So Elms and Milgram investigated the background of participants who were classified as disobedient in Milgram's study in an interview two months after the original study. Elms and Milgram found that disobedient participants who had not gone to the end level of 450 volts were more likely to have an internal locus of control. Last of the specification is social change and the role of social influence as well as minority influence. So social change occurs when a society as a whole accepts and adopts a new belief or way of behaving, which then becomes widely accepted as the norm. This may have positive influence, such as Rosa Parks, who sparked the the civil rights movement, or maybe negative, such as the Holocaust. Minority influence is when the minority influences a majority. This is a slow progress and requires people to undergo a change in thinking as the majority must accept the views of the minority. There are a number of characteristics appear to make the influence uh, the make the influence our minority has more effective. This has been known as the behavioral style according to Moscovici. So Moscovici puts forward this behavioral style, consistency and commitment, confidence, persuasiveness and flexibility. Also, it must be of the zeitgeist, and there is a snowball effect leading to social amnesia. So the behavioural style by Moscovici. Consistency and commitment. It must be consistent in its opinion, so maintain their belief over time and maintain consistency between members of a minority group. This gives the majority a signal that the minority is committed to its position and by remaining consistent, a minority is harder for the majority to ignore and it sends a message that an alternative view to the majority is available and any dissent will weaken the consistency and commitment. The next behavioural style by Muscovici is confidence. Confidence sends a message to the majority that the position is serious and demands attention and respect from the majority, which allows a greater possibility of having an influence. Next is persuasiveness, so the minority should try and win over the majority by being scientifically persuasive with clear arguments. For example, scientific evidence may be shown. They may show a wider benefit to wider society, for example, non-smoking, and willingness to risk harm to themselves, for example, Rosa Parks. Also, flexibility. So this was seen in Nemeth's mock jury study, which we'll see in a bit. If the uh, minority appears as flexible and compromising, they will have a better chance of succeeding and changing majority views as they will be seen as less extreme, more moderate, cooperative and reasonable. This may then lead to the snowball effect where the minority views, which are consistent, will gradually gain support from others and eventually the minority uh, position becomes the majority opinion and people will forget that the accepted views was once a minority viewpoint, known as social cryptoamnesia, where people forget that the accepted view was once a minority viewpoint. For example, uh, advocates of LGBT rights can see this. Also, it must be of the zeitgeist, meaning that it must be of the spirit of the time. So the zeitgeist, so the culture at the time must be ready for change to occur. For example, Darwin's uh, evolution theory, when that came out, they weren't ready. It was not of the zeitgeist. Whereas recycling now, for example, is of the zeitgeist. Recycling is uh, very much of the zeitgeist due to uh, global warming and other stuff like that. Supporting evidence for consistency as a behavioural style of minority influence. Muscovici aimed to discover whether a, minor- a minority could influence a majority of naive participants to reverse the usual direction of social influence. Muscovici used groups of six females who were presented with 36 blue slides that varied in brightness. Participants had good eyesight and were not colourblind. Two confederates of the experimenter, who were instructed to say that the slides were green on every trial or on two-thirds of the trials. Moscovici found that when the confederates said green on every trial, 
the percentage of green responses from the others was 8%. However, when two-thirds of the uh, trials, the Confederates said that it was green, the participants uh, was answering a percentage of only 1% of green responses. So when consistent, they can on some occasions influence the majority and bring about social change, as found by Moscovici's uh, study with the six females with the blue slides of differing brightness. Supporting evidence for flexibility, Nemeth used a fake mock jury in which three participants and one confederate had to decide on the amount of compensation rewarded. When a consistent minority, so the confederate, argued for a very low amount of compensation and refused to change his position, he had no effect on the majority. However, when he compromised and moved towards the majority position held by the other three participants, uh, held by the other participants, the majority also compromised and changed their views, showing the importance of flexibility and shows consistency may not be as important. So therefore, in Nemeth's fake mock jury study, these three participants and one confederate were tested to decide on the amount of compensation rewarded. And when the consistent minority, the confederate, argued for a very low amount and refused to change his position, he had no effect on the majority three participants. However, the three participants were affected, so the majority was affected when the confederate compromised and moved towards the majority position. So therefore, the majority were then led to compromise and change their own views, showing the importance of flexibility and showing that consistency may not be as important as once thought. Also, behavioural styles uh, have been supported in general by Fathers for Justice, which is a campaign which demonstrates the styles in their work and have had a positive impact on society. Fathers for Justice show consistency as it's been an active organisation for over 10 years that children needing their fathers has been the same message throughout. Persuasiveness, so they use specific case studies, they use psychological research, they risk harm to themselves. It's an issue that affects society as a whole and they demonstrate this. Also confidence, as confidence stunts have attracted media attention, such as the Spider-Man stunt in London. Also the topic is of the zeitgeist due to the high divorce rates. Uh, making it an important issue. Also, conformity and obedience can also influence social change. So conformity is when a majority influences minority through normative social influence and informational social influence and obedience. So there are many examples of where obedience has been used in the name of social change, such as the Holocaust. So that's social influence.